1: Good morning, my name is Adam and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Kenross Gold Corporation second quarter 2020 results conference call and webcast. All participants are in a listen-only mode to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this session, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. At this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Mr. Tom
2: Elliott,
1: Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Development. Mr. Elliott, you may begin your conference.
3: Thank you. Good morning. With us today, we have Paul Rowlandson, President and CEO from Kinross Senior Leadership Team, Andrea Freebro, Paul Timori, and Jeff Gold. Before we begin, I'd like to bring to your attention the fact that we will be making forward-looking statements during this presentation. For a complete discussion of the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions, which may lead to actual results and performance being different from estimates contained in our fourth information, please refer to page two of this presentation, our news release dated July 29, 2020, the MD&A for the period ended June 30, 2020, and our most recently filed AIF all of which are available on our website. I'll now turn the call over to Paul.
4: Thanks, Tom, and uh, thank you all for joining us today. First and foremost, I would like to acknowledge and thank all of our hardworking employees who have helped us deliver strong results while managing through their own unique challenges during this pandemic. The safety of our employees and their families in the communities that we operate continues to be our first priority. I also want to say that our thoughts are with all of those who have been affected by the pandemic. <clears throat> Kinross delivered strong results in Q2, and we are pleased with the significant growth in margins, earnings, and free cash flow. This morning, you will hear how our company is technically strong with an excellent operation, operational track record is managing the impacts from COVID, is delivering very strong free cash flow with peer leading yield, and has numerous projects to continue adding mine life and a number of exciting exploration opportunities. Before that, I will comment briefly on the quarter and a few key developments. Andrea will provide a financial review and Paul Tamori will summarize our operating performance. We will also give an update on how we are managing through the pandemic. <clears throat> All of the company's operations performed well during the quarter. Once again though, our three largest mines, Paracatu, Coupo, and Tassius, accounted for over 60% of total production and delivered the lowest cost in the portfolio. More than 50% of our production currently comes from the Americas, the US and Brazil. With the balance from Russia and West Africa. Over 80 percent of our production comes from five key assets in five separate regions. With our recent acquisition in Russia and taking into account our track record of exploration success, we expect that these assets and regions will have mine lives of at least 10 years. We also had another strong quarter in terms of free cash flow and generated approximately $220 million during Q2. At current spot prices, free cash flow is expected to remain very strong for the remainder of the year. As a result of our continued strong cash flow, our investment grade balance sheet strengthened further, and and we finished uh, the quarter with just over $1.5 billion in cash in part due to the draw on our revolver. Andrea will comment further on the revolver. However, I would note that we did repay $250 million of the facility subsequent to quarter end. At this time, we are not formally reinstating our guidance, but continue to work towards our initial targets released in February. Our key results for the first half of the year are tracking within the original guidance ranges albeit at the low end of production due to some pandemic-related impacts. However, we do continue to expect the second half of the year to be the stronger half for both production and costs. During the quarter, we announced an agreement in principle with the government of Mauritania to to enhance our partnership at TASIUS. We are pleased to have been able to negotiate this mutually beneficial agreement with the government and add to our positive momentum and a decade of success in the country. And earlier this month, we released the pre-feasibility results on our Lobo Marte project in Chile, which represents an excellent growth opportunity. Lobo is a large-scale, long-life asset located in one of the world's top mining jurisdictions. The PFS results show that it has the potential to support our long-term production profile and increases both our reserves and reserve life index by 25% compared with the end of 2019. The project offers attractive returns at consensus long-term estimates, driven by good grades, a modest strip ratio, and low unit costs. As we now move forward with the feasibility study, we will continue to prioritize balance sheet strength and discipline capital allocation. Any construction decision will not be made for a number of years until the feasibility study and permitting have been completed. With respect to capital allocation, our team has managed the company through a wide range of gold price environments and has always remained disciplined on costs and allocating capital. Current gold and energy prices and FX rates are favorable, and we expect to continue producing significant free cash flow over the coming years. For example, if gold prices stay above $1,800 for the remainder of the year, we would expect to generate over $900 million of free cash flow during 2020. Over the coming months, we will continue to be disciplined with respect to the use of our balance sheet, including leveraging our strong technical expertise to uncover attractive high-return investments that make sense for our business and our shareholders, continue reducing debt as maturities come up, modestly increasing exploration spend to leverage our numerous prospects to potentially add ounces in mine life. post COVID uncertainty, a potential return of capital. Given our internal opportunities, we feel no pressure to make external investments of any sort unless we are comfortable with the risk reward profile. We also have several areas within our portfolio that may present attractive optionality for capitalizing on a high gold price without risking significant capital and without altering the resiliency of our business should prices decline in the future. I'll now turn the call over to Andrea for a more detailed review of our financial results.
0: Thanks, Paul. I'll begin with a few financial highlights from the quarter, review capital expenditures, and end with a summary of the balance sheet. During Q2, we produced approximately 572,000 attributable gold equivalent ounces and sold 584,000, at an average cost of sales of $725 per ounce, and an all in sustaining cost of $984 per ounce. We are particularly pleased with the cost performance, which came in at the middle of our original guidance range, despite COVID-19 related inefficiencies and challenges. Our margins increased 53% to $987 per ounce, outpacing the 31% increase in our average realized gold price of $1,712 per ounce. We sold approximately 12,000 ounces more than we produced, including about 15,000 ounces that were unsold at the end of Q1, partly offset by a missed shipment at Toronto due to a transportation delay relating to bad weather. These ounces were sold in July. Our adjusted EPS of 15 cents and adjusted operating cash flow per share of 33 cents were both up significantly compared with the second quarter of last year. Adjusted operating cash flow increased to $417 million from $288 million last year, and as Paul mentioned earlier, free cash flow for the quarter was approximately $220 million, which is twice the level we achieved in the first quarter. We expect free cash flow to remain strong for the rest of the year. Turning to income tax, we recorded an expense of $103 million during the quarter, compared to $47 million in the second quarter last year, with the increase due to higher taxable income driven by higher realized gold prices and higher margins. Capital expenditures during the quarter were $214 million, which was slightly higher than the $191 million spent in Q1. However, Q2 CapEx was lower than planned due to COVID-related challenges. As an example, Capitalized stripping for the Tassius 24K project has been slower than planned due to constraints on the movement of personnel, as well as the strike. Our original guidance in February had 2020 CAPEX of $900 million, plus or minus 5%, with a reduction of approximately $100 million in 2021. We still expect combined capex for the 2020-2021 timeframe to be in line with these original targets. However, the timing of spend on specific projects may be modified. We've identified expenditures from 2020 that will likely not occur until 2021, and we've identified some expenditures originally planned for 2021 that have strong business cases to be brought forward to 2020. Paul Tamori will provide some examples shortly However, the point I'd like to make is our overall capital needs are not changing materially, and we have the flexibility to adjust the allocation of our spending in 2020 and 2021 as we adapt to the external environment. We also expect some puts and takes on operating costs, including continued favorable foreign exchange rates on the Brazilian real and Russian ruble and lower energy prices, higher royalties resulting from higher gold prices, and of course, potential impacts from any future operating challenges associated with COVID-19. With strong metal sales, a rise in gold price, and a $200 million draw on the Tassius facility, we ended the quarter with just over $1.5 billion of cash and cash equivalent. Including the Tassius facility and the $750 million drawn on the revolver, total debt at June 30th was $2.7 billion, and net debt was approximately $1.1 billion. On a trailing 12-month basis, our net debt to EBITDA ratio improved once again and is now 0.7 times. As Paul mentioned, subsequent to the quarter end, we repaid $250 million out of the $750 million drawn on the credit facility. We made this partial repayment for two reasons. Our cash balance continues to grow from the strong free cash flow we're generating, In fact, we have more cash now after the partial repayment than when we initially drew on the facility in March, and we're slightly more comfortable with the overall operating and financial environment globally. Nonetheless, we are keeping the remaining $500 million drawn for the time being as the funds are relatively low cost and to ensure we can comfortably manage a wide range of potential risks. In summary, we're comfortable with Ken Ross's liquidity position and believe we have a strong base to continue to fund our business in the current environment. I'll now turn the call over to Paul Timori.
5: Thanks very much, Andrea. First, I'll spend a few minutes on some of the key COVID-related topics, and then I'll give a brief summary of how our operations are doing. I'll also be discussing some very encouraging exploration highlights and comment on areas where we continue to target meaningful mine life extensions. And then I'll elaborate on capital expenditures. Broadly speaking, our portfolio of operations managed very well through COVID-19. We acted early with our task force and took several important measures which allowed us to minimize the impacts to our business. To date, we have not experienced any material negative impacts and remain on track to achieve our operating and project development targets. That said, we've experienced some minor impacts on which I will elaborate as I discuss each asset. As Paul indicated, our three big smines continued their strong performance and accounted for over 60% of second quarter production with a combined cost of sales just below $600 per ounce. Paracatu was once again our largest producer and continues to deliver strong, consistent results. Production increased by approximately 15,000 ounces over the last quarter. Recoveries remain lower than last year but are in line with our expectations and with what's presented in the technical report. They're expected to improve as we move into higher grade ore in late 20 and early 21. Strong throughput and favorable currency exchange rates during the quarter resulted in low unit costs, albeit slightly higher than the year ago quarter due to lower production. Turning to Russia, Kubel and Devoinoy delivered another excellent quarter and continued to generate robust cash flow. Good throughput, grades, and recoveries drove an increase in production by approximately 3,000 to 10,000 ounces relative to last year and last quarter, respectively. Cash costs of just over $600 per ounce improved from Q1, but increased slightly from Q2 2019 as a result of higher royalties associated with a higher gold price and were partly offset by favorable currency. Turning to exploration at Coupole, following an excellent year last year, our team achieved one of the best first halves on record, yielding very positive results within the mine footprint at Coupole from areas like the Northeast Extension, Kupal Deep South, Maroshka, Providence. As anticipated, many of these new potential mining zones are narrower in width than those historically mined at Kupal, but made possible at Kupal's ongoing successful transition to narrow vein mining, which should allow us to maintain diluted grades in the eight to nine grams per ton range. Exploration will continue to focus on these targets as well as on proximal brownfield targets for the rest of 2020, with the expectation of once again adding to the mines estimated mineral reserves and resources with our year end. With the addition of these ounces from the first half, we expect to be mining at Kupol until at least 2025, further supporting our decades of success in Russia. We remain very pleased with the results of the Kupol Mine Exploration Program, which combined with the successful transition to narrow vein mining, has continued to yield impressive additions to Kupol's mine life. At Chulbacan, we intentionally slowed down our drilling in the second quarter to better manage COVID protocols in the camp, but are now in the process of ramping back up our exploration activities. At the end of the second quarter, just over 35,000 meters of infill step-out metallurgical drilling had been completed. The results are encouraging and support our original thesis for the project, which has a large near-surface estimated mineral resource with highly continuous mineralization and is open along strike and at depth. The drill program for the third quarter is focused on further definition in the high-grade zone, and we expect to complete this year's planned 55,000-meter drilling program
6: on schedule. Moving to TASIUS. Despite pandemic-related
5: challenges related to the mining rate and a 17-day strike and work stoppage, TASIUS had a good quarter operationally. The mill delivered average throughput of approximately 16,700 tons per day during the days it operated, which was slightly higher than the record achieved in the first quarter. However, strict COVID screening protocols have limited the workforce available and we have prioritized allocating camp space to those people who work in the mill and in the process circuit. As a result, we've had to curtail the mining rate. In the second quarter, Tazius mined approximately 7.5 million tons significantly lower than the 22 million tons that were planned in the budget. The principal impact of this result is a deferral of stripping tons and the associated capital dollars, and a commensurate delay in access to the ore from the West Branch 4 pushback. Production is not expected to be impacted in 2020, but the delay in access to new ore and the longer-than-planned reliance on stockpiles will result in lower production in 2021 than had been compared in contemplated in the original 24k mine plan however we expect no impacts to TASI's life of mine production mineral reserve estimates or overall value as we were able to adjust short-term mine plans given the availability of very large stockpiles at the site as for the construction project it continues to advance well civil works are well advanced and the project remains on schedule to increase throughput capacity to 21,000 tons per day by the end of 2021 and then onward to 24,000 tons per day by mid-2023. However, if pandemic-related constraints on the global movement of people and supplies persist for a prolonged period of time, the schedule could yet be negatively impacted. However, I'm pleased to say by the end of June, the company had reinstated the rotation of expatriate staff in and out of Mauritania, which has improved the situation. Moving on to our U.S. operations, our three sites continue to move closer to normal as we maintain discipline on pandemic-related protocols and procedures. At Round Mountain, unit of sales increased slightly compared with the last quarter and last year due to lower grades and recoveries as planned. We expect production to increase in the second half of the year, particularly in the fourth quarter. Exploration drilling at Round Mountain continued to focus on the phase X area, which is the conceptual name for the next major pushback after phase W. Drilling has intersected significant mineralization in the upper portions of the shallow section of the phase X pit shell and confirmed that mineralization extends from phase W. Further drilling will assess whether mineralization in the upper portions of phase X could reduce the strip ratio. We've also initiated early engineering works on what a phase X pushback might look like. At Bald Mountain, production increased by approximately 15% compared with the last quarter and 20% compared with last year, due to improved grades and recoveries from Vantage. However, costs increased slightly compared to last quarter due to an increase in operating waste mined. At Fort Knox, production and costs both improved compared with Q1 due to improved mill grade recovery and lower electricity costs. Results at Fort Knox are becoming more reliable and we expect Q3 to further improve over results in the first half. The Gilmore expansion project is advancing very well and the project remains firmly on time and on budget. We are looking forward to stacking first ore on the new Barnes Creek Heap Leach and completion of the project in the fourth quarter. With Phase W, Vantage, Gilmore, and now potentially Phase X, we are very pleased to be extending our time in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Nevada. In Washington State, we completed in the quarter a high-level engineering and economic assessment of the potential for mining at the Curlew Basin. At the historical K2 mine, which is approximately 35 kilometers north of our Kettle River mill. The results were encouraging, and as a result, we've reinitiated the rehabilitation and development of an advanced exploration decline to allow for underground drilling, targeting incremental high margin ounces proximal to and as extensions of the K2 and K5 deposits. Moving to Ghana, at Chirano, we experienced some unplanned downtime at the process plant due to issues with the apron feeder thickener and the mill motor which negatively impacted production. Then, as Andrea mentioned, there were some untimely weather conditions that prevented a scheduled shipment further impacting sales. The plant issues have been resolved and the missed shipment has also been successfully completed. Following successful near mine exploration extensions to Tirano, we expect meaningful mine life extensions. The additional ounces are likely to be slightly lower grade and in narrower veins that could lead to slightly lower production levels and higher unit costs. However, most importantly, we expect these extensions to be economic at our $1,200 per ounce planning price. Additionally, the exploration program continued to yield positive results. At the OBRA deposit, drilling in the first half of 2020 yielded significant intercepts and has, and has extended the depth of high-grade mineralization. As a result, we have begun development work on an exploration drift to better delineate the potential for an underground mine at, at Obra. Should this hypothesis play out, we could see mine life extensions beyond 2025. Moving to our Chilean projects, La Coypa continues to make efforts to offset some lost time due to pandemic related restrictions with good progress on hiring, engineering, and procurement. Paul has already covered Lowell Marte. And finally, as Andrea stated, we are adjusting the timing of our capital program to capitalize on some valuable opportunities our teams have identified and to accommodate the various restrictions across our operations. As mentioned, some stripping at TASIUS has been delayed into 2021. However, as noted earlier, the changes are not expected to impact the overall 24K project timeline. Some of these delayed expenditures will be offset as we bring forward other projects that add value, such as the purchase of some in-pit equipment at Paracure, <laughs> That will allow for increased production sooner than initially planned. Additionally, we plan to relocate the primary crusher around Mountain in order to increase mill recovery and lower crushing costs. To wrap up, our priorities continue to be the health and safety of our employees as we manage through this ongoing pandemic, strong, consistent operating results, and delivering our projects on time and on budget. And with that, I'll turn the call back over to Paul.
4: (coughs) Thanks, Paul. I want to reiterate our gratitude to our employees, suppliers, communities, and host governments that all continue to work together to keep everybody safe and productive. As a result of this hard work, all of our assets remain in operation and our projects continue to advance. Notwithstanding COVID, our business is very well positioned. Our commodity prices and currencies are favorable. We continue to extend our long-term track record of strong and consistent performance across all of our geographies. We have an attractive portfolio of operations, projects, and exploration opportunities. And we continue growing our free cash flow and further strengthening our investment-grade balance sheet. With all this, we are set to continue driving meaningful value creation and share price appreciation over the coming quarters and years. With that operator, uh, can we now please open up the the call to questions?
1: Yes, sir. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, that is star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Once again, if you do have a question on the phone lines, that is star then the number one. And we'll pause for just one moment to compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from lineup Ralph Rafito with the 8 Capital.
7: Good morning. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, taking my questions. Uh, firstly, Paul, on TASIUS, uh 24K, um, can you maybe disclose how much of a workforce is needed, uh, say, at a minimum, uh, to stay on schedule when it comes to construction? Uh, and maybe sort of where are you now and, and how does that workforce need to build up over time?
5: Um, there's many aspects to it. So within the project, there are different scope elements. So one very large element of scope is the power plant, and that probably requires the single largest number of people. We've delayed that project deliberately. It's not critical path. It's not required to get us to 21K. And so we've pushed that out a couple months, primarily to save space uh, in the camp. In general, we're not particularly worried about being able to ramp up the number of people, they're they're relatively small scopes of work. The big the bigger um, use of space in the camp is in the is in the mining fleet, and that's where we've seen the delay in the stripping as a result of uh, having fewer people in the mine. I'll remind you, the the 24K project is a series of pretty small scopes of work: thickener, ILR, uh, water
6: upgrades. So we we're able to manage those sequentially. Thanks for that. Um, if maybe I can switch gears and maybe asking a question uh, on the Chubatkan
7: section that, that you provided, it it does show sort of these higher grade near surface. And I'm just wondering, when it comes to drilling, are you more concentrated so, sort of a long strike as a strategy? And, and are you finding continuity in that uh, higher grade near surface elements of how this ore body is coming together?
5: So we remain very happy with what's going on at Chubacan. The first half of the year was focused on Just continue the continued program, as I said, we did about 35,000 meters. The focus to date has been just that infill program and establishing better confidence in our initial hypothesis. The high-grade portions, we we are excited by that hole, but we haven't spent a lot of time in the first half doing testing on that. That will be part of our program in the second half, so I don't want to comment too much right now on further high grades until we are able to get into our second-half program.
6: really just infilling
5: and extending. Yeah, exactly. We we've, we've really been we've really been focused on infilling and getting a better a better set of data for the resource model that is being built right now. We we are excited by the high grades, but we're going to be getting into that in the second quarter to see if there's continuity and more of it.
3: And the reason that's in the third quarter is we wanted to get the structural geology part
5: correct so yes.
3: we could have the best chance of success and, you know, efficient spending of dollars.
6: Understood. Thanks for the clarity. And your next question comes from the line of Greg Barnes with TD Securities. Yeah, thank you. Back to Paul tomorrow again.
2: On the 2021 production levels at Tassius. so you said it'll be down modestly from what was in the technical report. I'm just wondering what
5: modest is. About 40 to 60,000 ounces at our current view. We're still refining the mine plan. There's a couple of variables that have yet to settle. One is the, how quickly can we ramp the mining rate back up? So the mining rate now is is increasing. So every week we mine more than the previous week. However, COVID related impacts remain in, uh, is primarily quarantine related in the number of people we can have in the camp there. The COVID situation in is is continually improving. So the uncertainty is really how quickly can we rank back up to planned rates. But at our first blush, like I said, forty to sixty thousand ounces less than the T R. And that's primarily that's almost exclusively grade driven.
6: And switching back to Paul Rollinson, Paul, your your comments at the end of your opening statement about
2: I try I I missed it a little bit, but something to do with you have internal opportunities that you can I think bring forward or potentially monetize, I think, is what you were driving in,
4: well, I think I just again, I think this quarter in particular, <clears throat> versus other years, um, we're pretty excited on the exploration side. We've got a lot of new stuff. We've had some great drilling in the first half of the year. Paul touched on the success at Chirano uh, where We're very excited about curlew. Um, there's There's that aspect to it the the other side of it. That I kind of alluded to was, um, as you know, we do our budgeting and our reserves at $1,200, um, and there is flex obviously in the revenue line, um, where, you know, if if a project were to green light with your $1,200 uh, hurdle, um, you're going to see a lot of optionality or, or you know, NPV expansion at higher commodity prices. Um, without incurring incremental capital. Uh, And and what I was trying to say was, you know, should commodity prices go back down, uh, we still have positive cash flow, positive IRR, but we are going to get the benefit um, of uh, higher commodity prices um, by building, you know, at the $1,200 threshold. Gotcha. Okay.
6: And just finally... Paul, on
2: dividend. Um I know you're being cautious around COVID nineteen and it's unclear what the impact will look like over the next six to twelve months, but you know, you are generating a lot of free cash flow. Um I know you've got an attractive pipeline, but clearly that's something I think that investors would like to see returned.
4: <clears throat> yeah, look I absolutely and, and we get it. I, I think, you know, Greg, we were we were getting questions on return of capital in January, February, based on what the expectation of the, the year's cash flow, uh, the, the year ahead cash flow would be. COVID kind of put everything in the back seat. Um, what we said on our previous call was it, it feels to us a little bit incongruent to be reinstating uh, or initiating a dividend when we've just drawn $750 million under our revolver to put cash on our balance sheet, you know, just for business uncertainty. I think the point we're trying to make here today is, we're not out of the woods yet, but the signaling uh, by paying back that first tranche of 250 of the 750, I think should be taken as a positive signal. Um, You know, we are being impacted by COVID We are managing through it, but we can't say for certain that uh, we're we're out of it, we're through it. I'm optimistic, though, as we continue here. uh, We will work through it, and um, and as I would have said maybe in January, uh, it's really not a question of if, it's a question of when. Um, We are probably a bit on the conservative side, but we are getting stronger financially every month, every quarter. And my hope, uh, there's no guarantees in life, my hope is as we continue to get stronger and we move into the fall, and and we work through all of this, uh, we're going to be well positioned uh, for that return of
6: capital uh, discussion. Great, thanks Paul, that's helpful. And your next question comes from the line of Josh Wolfson with RBC Capital Markets. And Josh, your line is open. Sorry. Um,
7: Noting the commentary in the release and uh, on the conference call related to the CUPOL expiration results, um, you know, you give some sort of commentary about how uh, the magnitude of the potential upside at, at Toronto is there any sort of um you know quantity you could tell us to what that expiration upside could be for for cupol i
4: I'll, i mean i think what paul said which i think is is really exciting for us last year was one of the best years ever in terms of uh, reserve replacement at Coupol. and i think the point he was making this year and i'll let him expand is We've actually been delayed in our spending at Coupol this year, and, and so we're, we're behind where we would be. But notwithstanding that, we've had the best year ever. Um, so we're feeling really, really good about how things are going from an exploration point of view at Coupol And uh, not to put Paul on the spot, but he, I do think, you know, he did make the comment about, you know, at, at this stage, we're feeling comfortable about, again, extending mine lines.
5: It's, it, Josh, as you can appreciate, it's difficult to put quantums out there, but rather, how would I say this, the 2025 mine life extension we're feeling really good about. We've got to do some eye-dotting, T-crossing on that in the next few months, and you'll see the reserve update at the end of the year, but we're feeling pretty good about that 2025. And as you'll, you've watched CUPLE for many years now, we have a very strong record of continuing to add reserves and replace that which we produced. I don't think it's going to end in 2025. We have a lot of targets. We continue to drill. We continue to spend a lot of money. The returns are good. And so I'm not going to put a quantum out there, but we're feeling very encouraged by what we're seeing at CUP. Well, let me just talk a little bit about what is happening there. The big, the big wide zones at good high grades are largely depleted, but we're, we're getting some very encouraging, uh, the, really the heart of this exploration success is finding these narrower veins with very high grades, in some cases 20, 30 grams. Now the widths are one meter, so you got to dilute those. And originally, our worry was that the grades wouldn't be high enough and the widths too narrow to support the scale of the Cupola operation. But fortunately, with this very successful ongoing transition to narrower vein mining, we think we're going to be able to maintain the diluted grade in that eight to nine range, and to continue to extend mine life. So really, what the big encouraging thing is that we're getting good grades in those veins, really high grades, they're narrow, and um, we, we're able to successfully mine them. So we're, we're feeling really good about what we're seeing at Coupal. And to give you a perspective, a couple of years ago we had almost no narrow veins in, in active mining. Our plan right now over the next three, four years is to transition to three-quarters of our production coming from narrow veins. And it's a it's a phase transition over three, four years, we're switching the equipment over, we're, our workforce is getting used to the narrower vein. so it's a, it's a nice. It's not an overnight transition. It's something phased in over three, four years. So we're. Uh, what I'll say is we're feeling really good about Kubal.
6: Good. Okay. Um,
7: and then uh, continuing the conversation on the uh, return of capital commentary, you know, noting where gold prices are today and and forecast free cash flow being very high um but also you know looking at the portfolio of projects and and wanting to maintain some conservatism you know what's what's the right approach or, or right uh numbers i'll ask again specifics if that's possible um that would make that number sort of relevant but still um you know still um you know not too aggressive
4: yeah look i i think i don't see the way we come at it, the way we think about the allocation of capital, really, and I would have said this, again, maybe back in January, we, we sort of triangulate around a, a few considerations. One is obviously the gold price. Uh, the other is our balance sheet. And the third would be just the, the, uh, the capital uh, opportunities in our business. And, you know, check on the gold price check on the balance sheet. And and for us, quite frankly, just to digress slightly, um, we feel really good. I mean, we, as you know, have come through a, a, a period of significant reinvestment in our business over the last three years. And, and when we did put out our guidance originally back in mid-February, we, we tried to give a look through 21-22, at least as it relates to capital investing back in the business. And what we were projecting is as we're coming out of that reinvestment period of $900 million plus or minus capital, going down into sort of the 800 and and, and down go, going forward. And so we were advertising back in February growing cash flow as a, resu- as a result of less capital and expanded margins. All of that is is, you know, c- c- remains true, and and I f- we feel stronger about it than ever. It's just we can't predict, as I've said, we, we have been impacted, a lot of it Paul Timori has spoken about uh, with respect to COVID. We are managing through it, and it just seems prudent to us to to just, you know, give it a couple more months here to, to see how we go. Um, so I think, you know, from, a, from a what, what is it, if you're asking me what is the right sort of dividend, if, if as and when we get there, we'll look, we'll look at what's out there. We'll benchmark off of our peers and our, and our comps. And what I've also said is, for us, I think, you know, the signal would be keep an eye on, you know, there's a sequence to me that, that makes a lot of sense here. And, and as I said, we just made an initial 250 out of the 750 repayment on the revolver. I think the signal I'd be looking for is when we do repay the balance of that revolver, that's going to signal our comfort about the COVID risk going forward. And I suspect the minute we do repay that revolver, we'll get an immediate uh, question on a guidance reset and the return of capital. And, and I'd like to believe, you know, if everything holds together, uh, that's the conversation we'll be having in the fall,
6: okay,
7: and maybe maybe just to sort of clarify you mentioned sort of benchmarking it, you know one approach I guess is looking at you know yields perhaps for for peers um, but I guess I would note that most of the peer group i guess is is trying to um determine their payout levels based on significantly lower gold prices, which presumably would affect uh, what your levels would be as well. Is that how you would look at things too, or are you, are you more comfortable, I guess, using higher payouts, maybe based on the current environment?
4: Yeah, look, Josh, I think we're inherently conservative. I mean, I think, you know, someone argues you, maybe we're too conservative. We're going to be the same when we think about this. We're going to be reasonable and we're going to be appropriate. Uh, we still budget at 1200 we still do our reserves at $1,200, uh, and we will, you know, contemplate when, when we do get into that situation, as, as you well appreciate, you don't want to be adjusting or uh, turning a dividend on, turning it off. We want to find the right level that's sustainable for the long term, and, uh, you know, we'll adjust carefully uh, as we go forward. Great, thank you. Thanks.
1: And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question, let us start the number one on your telephone keypad. And your next question comes from line of Carrie McCreary with Canaccord Genuity.
2: Good morning, everyone. Just maybe another question for Paul at on Fort Knox. Um, you know, your cash costs there have been averaging $1,200 an ounce. I know there was the pit bull, uh slide a few years back or a year back or so. I'm just wondering, with Gilmore set for completion in you know, Q4, just how we should think about Fort Knox going into 2021 from a production and cost standpoint.
5: Yeah, you quite correctly pointed out Fort Knox has had a, a bit of a rough go over the last few quarters, but we're, we're coming out of it. The the asset's doing very well right now, and we expect production to start ramping up here quarter by quarter to fall in line with the with what's in the technical report. Um, yeah, that's it. It's, it's We're feeling a lot better about performance of Fort Knox.
2: So from what I recall in the technical report, I think cash costs were somewhere around maybe like $800 to $900 an ounce. Is that still what you're expecting?
5: Yeah, it depends on the year, of course. It'll be uh, correlated to production. The higher the production, the, the lower the cash cost. But in aggregate, over the life of mine, that's correct.
2: Okay, great. And then maybe just on this phase X at Round Mountain, do you have resources, resource ounces in that phase, or is this a new?
5: No, so that, yeah, there's a big chunk of uh, M, I, and I at Round Mountain. A lot of that is in phase X. And um, you'll recall when we did phase W, um, we we planned and designed all of the infrastructure, the situation of the truck shops, the crusher relocations, and all that. We designed it to accommodate what we we're calling at that time W2, and we just rebranded that X. So this would be the next major pushback for which most of the capital, other than the stripping, has already been spent. It's just a little bit deeper. But what's really significant in this last quarter is that we're starting to find mineralization in the upper portions of X, and that the reason we're really encouraged about that is, that, of course, that would reduce the strip ratio and potentially bring a $1,200 pit shell into sight. We're not quite there yet, but. Uh, it's moving in that direction. So a lot of the inventory we have currently in M-I-N-I is in X. Um, While I'm on the topic of Round Mountain, there's another phase there called S, slightly smaller, that we're also working on. So there's a couple of potential mine life extensions uh, that we're working on at Round, and for the most part, those ounces are in our resource inventory.
4: That's some really
2: interesting- roughly speaking, yeah, just wondering like the quantum of ounces, are we talking
5: like millions of ounces? it's in our resource there. I mean, that X pushback with S, we're we're hoping to get about a million ounces there, a million to a million and a half ounces. But it's it's still very conceptual. It's early days, and uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself on it. But that's conceptually what we're looking at. I think
2: that, that, that's fair. And then maybe just back on Chilbatcan, given the exploration you're doing there this year, you know, should we ex- be expecting a resource update? next year, or is that too soon to, to think about
5: that? Uh, we intend to update the resource model this year, and so there will be a resource update
6: with our year-end. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. And your next question comes from
1: line of Tanya Jakuskinik with Scotia Capital.
6: Uh, yes. Good morning,
8: everybody. Um, sorry. I just wanted to come back to this capital allocation Paul. Um. So that I understand it correctly, and maybe another way to to ask you is, um, what minimum cash uh, are you going to be comfortable holding on the balance sheet um, to run your business, so that we can kind of benchmark that to looking at excess cash flow going uh, to dividend payments and running your business. Thanks.
4: Yeah. Sure. I mean, there's cash and there's you know total debt and 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 just you know, balance sheet metrics, if you will. I think from a running the business point of view, we get that question from time to time. And uh, I would say generally our answer has been sort of for the day-to-day running of our business, we want sort of minimum 350 to 500 of cash on the balance sheet. Um, what we're really talking about here though is just uncertainty. And, and that is why we quote our guidance it's just uncertainty. And yeah, we feel better today at the end of July than we did in mid-March, uh, having worked through this thus far. Um, and certainly, as you know, uh, with this kind of uh, spot environment, uh, as I alluded to in my opening remarks, uh, if you extrapolate the spot environment to your end, you know, I, I, if I were sort of doing a back-in-the-envelope, I'd, I'd project our, our net debt, to that's probably down in the, I'll call it, say, 0.3 uh, kind of range from 0.7 today. So everything's headed in the right direction. Um, and and I, I, for us, it's really just, you know, making sure, as Paul alluded to, we, we you know,
0: and then maybe I'll
4: let him speak a little bit more specifically to Tassius. What we're finding is, uh, as we're testing employees, uh, most of them are asymptomatic and they get on the bus to go to the site and we find out they're positive and we have to quarantine. And and so it's it's those kinds of headwinds and what we've been concerned about, for example, is just sheer headcount in, in, for example, the mill. And until we can kind of comfortably say we're through all of that, um, we're not going, and again, I, I would say we're not, it, it's a situation where, you know, the mill hasn't been impacted yet, but we need to know that we're likely not going to be impacted before our, our uncertainty level comes down. down. We've been very fortunate in Brazil so far, um, where, you know, Brazil as a country has been making a lot of headlines on how they've been dealing with COVID. We've been well ahead of it with our protocols, but having said that, in the state of uh, Minas Gerais and and in in the city of Paracatu, we are seeing some upticks in COVID cases. So that's our point here. It's really not so much about the cash and the balance sheet. I think we're in great shape today. We're getting stronger. It's really just about the uncertainty of business impact before we, we get there.
8: Okay, so 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 you know whatever you know the gold price is the gold price, and and you'll generate that amount of cash flow as long as you see a, a workable environment going forward. You know, post, say post COVID, and you kind of run your 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 business with a minimum of that three hundred and fifty to five hundred million in, in on cash on the balance sheet. You you know you have your your sustaining capital, your development capital. I think you have one debt repayment in, in September of next year. But anything yeah. above and beyond um, would be open to, to returning to shareholders. Would yeah. that be fair?
4: That,
2: that,
4: that's right. I think, as I said earlier, you know, we triangulate around the three considerations of gold price, balance sheet, and, and internal capital opportunities, and and I think all three of those, were it not for COVID, are are probably green light.
8: Okay. And, and, and maybe just a, a question for Paul, Paul T. I'm just um, interested in a go-forward basis. I'm just trying to understand um, what sort of costs are now sticking uh, with this COVID
5: impact uh, for the business. Uh, well, actually, I'll just like that to Andrea. We've got some pretty specific numbers on that.
0: Yeah, you, you would have seen in our um, disclosures that we, ha- we did classify some costs in other yeah. operating costs.
8: Um, yes, I did. Yeah. The biggest,
0: biggest buckets being in Russia and at Tafias, and, you know, obviously those are our two, those are, you know, both camp-based um, sites. Um, at, at, uh, in Russia, it's more, uh, more specifically sort of direct um, compensation-related costs to, you know, pay people more that we're at, um, that were at site for extended periods of time. Um, we probably saw that peak in Q2, so, you know, we'll have some of that going forward, but not to the same extent. Um, and then at tassiest, uh tassiest in total is about $10 million of that other operating. Um, six of that was related to the strike, and um, and four related to COVID, and, and in, in both of those buckets are what we refer to as abnormal, uh, more abnormal costs. So. Um, just as a result of production not being um, not being at normal levels. So
8: yeah, it, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I was just wondering more going forward that there's going to be, you know, that uh, additional transportation, there's uh, you know, the testing, there's the, the additional PP&E. Th- these are costs that we're going to have to take on now for the business going forward until we get a vaccination. Um, so what should we think those ongoing costs to be, and, and where are you going to allocate them in your cost structure or, uh, there.
5: Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about what we expect to continue, and Andrew will talk about the accounting. So the, by far the biggest component of those costs are the camp costs and the associated overtime payments. Basically, we bring people onto site two weeks early. They sit around in camp and you pay them. So um, you're consuming space in the camp and you're pay- paying people overtime. So that's the by far the largest component of that cost. That is an ongoing situation at Cupel and Devoino at Devoino and Tazius, to a, and to a much lesser extent at Chirano. I don't see that going away anytime soon. It may it may decline a little bit at Tazius, um, but I don't see going away at Cupel. We put everybody into quarantine going at Cupel so that we can keep the site completely uh, clean. So I, I would expect that that continues through this quarter and into the fourth quarter. At Tazius, it'll go down as the the COVID situation for us at Tessius has crested and we're on the downslope. I would expect there it to go down a little bit, but um, I, I see these costs hanging around in the next couple quarters. And that's for accounting, Andrea?
0: Yeah, I mean, you'll, uh, as you would have seen in the other operating costs, there's, there's not really anything overly significant at, us at, at, at any of the other sites. Um, and, you know, there are items um, – Items that, uh, like what you, uh, what you and Paul referred to, so we'd expect those to, those to continue. But again, you know, the two significant areas are really Tassiest in Russia, as Paul spoke to.
4: So not significant at other sites, basically.
6: Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question that is starred the number one on your telephone keypad. And it looks like we have no further questions at this time. Okay. Thank
4: you, uh, thank you Operator. Thanks, everyone, for joining the call today. And uh, we look forward to catching up uh, in the coming weeks and months. Thanks, everyone.
1: And this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.